from Channel 10. <laughs> Yo, you're now checking out the Channel 10 podcast. As always, visit channel10podcast.com and show love. Also, rate, subscribe, favorite, comment on whatever platform you're currently listening to this podcast on. We really appreciate it. Today, we have a very special guest by the name of D. Watkins. His new book, The Cook-Up, A Crack Rock Memoir, is now available. And we have a special deal for you. You can get the book for free through Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash channel 10. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash the word channel and the number 10. Go there, sign up for a free 30-day trial. You can get your free credit to go ahead and get the audio version of The Cook-Up, A Crack Rock Memoir by our guest, D. Watkins. And uh, you can also check out all the other great things that Audible has to offer. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead and do it now. Not going to take up too much of your time here. We're just going to go ahead and start the show. Peace. We used to be like, see you then, Channel 10. And we used to think that people would catch on. You know but if you're not from Queens, <laughs> if you don't got Time Warner or whatever, <laughs> like, well, I didn't know do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up? Horn, man. What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yo. CNN. Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Whoa, face. Get in your face. Stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface, CNN, Network, Channel 10, it's on again, street niggas that's grown men, bold face, gather your face, stay in place, yo, crime lace, cast more beef than Scarface. Yo. Yo. Once again, it's all it took, the almighty AR in the building, and I'm alongside. Single Superior. And today we have a very, very special guest. Um, needs very little introduction. He goes by the name of D. Watkins. What's going on? Say what's up to the people. Hey, what's good, man? How y'all feel out there? Uh, everything is going all right, man. And, um, you know, we definitely appreciate you um, you speaking to us today, um, especially regarding your latest book, uh, uh, The Cook-Up. Um, and I guess we want to start off with what was the impetus for you writing this book now? I've been working on it. Um, I've been working on it for a while. And, you know, the, for me, the main thing is when I was growing up in East Baltimore, I was never really given a book um, that had any black stories about any black people. As a result, me and a lot of my friends and the people who came before us, we didn't really take the reading. And as you guys know, that's criminal. Like, you know, for young people to not read is um, it's basically like it just just maintains the tradition of slavery that exists within this country. Right. And, um, you know, just reading the book, um, I know that your uh, older brother introduced you, um, you know, into, uh, reading, um, you know, different books like Frederick Douglass. And I, I was just wondering how did he, um, you know, how was he able to get into reading? You know, he was, a, he was a special guy. Um, he, he came, at, he came an age in a time where, um, a lot of people were conscious, even the street guys. Uh -huh. So like, even if they was on the corner hustling, they were still wearing like the, like, the, like the Afrocentric chains, the little, the little leather medallions with the Africa sound on it and, uh -huh. and, um, and things like that. So, um, 
and, and the music was more conscious and, and you needed the books to, to, to make some of the references and things like that. So um, his generation was a little different than mine, man. We was like crack babies. We was just out there wilding. And um, I, I really, really liked those books that he gave me, but they didn't really make me, they didn't make me a reader. Um, they definitely helped me become sharp and, and they definitely made me think, but it, they didn't really get me hooked. Hmm. So, uh, what kind of music, uh, you know, were, uh, was your brother and other people, uh, when you were growing up listening to during the time? So they was listening to like, um, like Tribe Called Quest and, and De La Soul and, you know, like, um, all that, like, like more, more like conscious rap. It was like, um, it was, it was at a time where a lot of, a lot of the gangster stuff was, was, was coming out, but there was just like a more, they were more aware of, um, of us and our and, and our culture and, and our history, and it really wasn't no, it really wasn't no, it wasn't a big conscious movement going on in Baltimore like that at the time either. Like um, I always hear like dudes I know from New York talk about like five percenters, and dudes from Philly talk about um, what's the guy named Doctor York or something? Right, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. Malakazi York, yeah, yeah. Like you know, so it's like in Baltimore, it was like we never really, we never really had anything like that down here. So um, nothing like that would ever ever really picked up. Um, anything organized really like there's no real strong gang culture here. There was, you know, none of these none of these things ever really picked up here. So there was never really a movement. But you know, some of the street guys who was out there, they still they still would listen to um, you know, to to some of the more positive music, even though they was doing what they was doing out there. Mm. Now, one of the um, you know, I guess going through the book, one of the themes that I kind of you know picked up on, I always paid attention to what song you were listening to, you know, before you did something. So, like, you know, you were big on Jay Z, and then you know, before you did certain things, you were listening to Raekwon, Cuban Links, and then as the book progresses, um, I notice a lot of times when you're in the car with your friends. Uh, it's a lot of Project Pat going on. And I remember when I was younger, you know, used to walk outside and all you would hear was 3-6. And then um, after Project Pat, it was the Boosie. But, you know, you kind of stayed stuck on, you know, the Jay-Z, it seemed like a little bit. So I was just wondering, um, you know, how you felt about the changes in the music throughout, uh, you know, your time in the street um, up until now and, um, you know, how it's had an influence. So I have like a... um I have I have like a problem, man. Like I have a real bad problem. It's like I don't know if I'm like like special needs type guy or something, uh -huh. but I can't really hear beats like that. I only hear words. Uh -huh. So when uh -huh. I when I cut on a song, you know how the dude be like, "Yo, the beat rocking." I don't really hear it like that. Like I'm straight auditory. I just I only I only hear words. Um, and this is you know I, don't get me wrong. I got mad love for Pat and Three Six and, and all of them, but. Like the more lyrically co complex a song, the more I'm gonna take to it. Like I really, 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 like really, really, really want to hear what what the rappers are talking about. Like I really, really want to hear the stories and, and and the metaphors and what they do with words and all that. So I was just like, so when the South started to pick up, um, when the South started to pick up, like the energy was crazy and the vibe was crazy. But I never really, I never really got, I never really got hooked on it like my friends. Because um, I was still into to that to that dense lyricism. Now, um, there was a part of the book. Uh, I think it was the letter that you wrote to uh, Perks. And then um, it just made me think of, you know, everything that's going on now with, you know, stuff like future and, you know, a lot of the drugs that, that people are actually taking. And you, you, you know, you spoke to that. Um, so I was wondering, you know, what type of things are you listening to nowadays and what kind of music you're into? 
So I listen to so so right now, um, rappers I'm listening to big time is um, I'm listening to Kendrick and uh-huh. I'm listening to a lot of Cole and you know I still you know I'm still going back and listening to that same J Electronic CD from like eight years ago because I don't, oh, yeah. I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think homie dropping an album but um I listen to a lot of local acts too so I definitely listen to um, Young Moose um, I listen to, I listen to Scooter. I listen to um, Tate Cobain. Like I listen to a lot of local rap, and um, I, I like to listen to a lot of instrumentals. Um, sometimes I listen to like the scores of movies I like, like especially when I write. So like I might play the score to Beast of the Southern Wild, or I might play the score to like Matrix Three, because I just you know I just it's really really good to build a story with that type of music in the background. And then I like groups like the Internet and all that. Like I think I think they they be putting in that work. Yeah. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, you've done like some uh, like some freelance video work too, um, for like different events and stuff like that. And I think music videos, right? Yeah, man, I was hustling, man. Like I didn't have any money, so as an adjunct professor, you basically make like a dollar a year. You feel me? So mm-hmm. you know, I'm adjuncting five classes a semester, so that's five dollars a year. So I, was, <laughs> I, wasn't really, I wasn't really making any bread, and my money was funny. And my homeboy Day Day was just he just moved back from LA and. And, and and I used to like I we used to yo we'd hang out and we we'd trip or whatever and he'd be like yo I gotta shoot a video you help me out yeah I give you a couple of dollars so I was coming to these video shoots and I was like yo you should do this you should do that so my ideas and this is like even before um this is like this is like around the time when I really really first started getting into writing I was try I was like like kind of developing concepts for some of the videos he was shooting. And I was making bread off of it, and then from that money, I bought a camera, and I started I started doing my own thing, and that and that turned into me doing some still photography. It turned into me and him actually working on a film that some dudes had shot down here, and, um, and then it just spent it whatever you needed a camera for. Like you know, one day um, this dude called me up and was like, "Yo, you still doing camera work?" And I said, "Yeah, what you need?" So he said, um, "I want you to shoot this funeral for me, right?" So I was like, "What?" He said, yeah, I want you to film the funeral, then I want you to come to the repast, and I want you to film us eating dinner and, you know, paying our respects and having fun, and then I want you to edit it all on the DVD. How much for something like that? And I'm like, yo, that's weird, homie. I don't even know if I can do that, man. And and I was in a tight spot, but I just, I didn't really know how I would, you know, what, what I could do. So he he was like, yo, I know it's crazy, but I give you 600 So I'm like, man, all right, man, should I wear black, black khakis or something? Like <laughs> I'm on my way down there, so I did. So I did all t- I did all types of camera work. Mm. Now, um, not to give you know too much of the book or the story away, but you know when you decided to leave the street life and the drug life completely alone, and then um, when you opened the bar, and then you know you decided to leave that alone, um, you know not having the money, how much um, of a transition was that for you? And, um, you know, did it hit your ego or were you just like gung-ho to jump into the next thing, which was the school thing? You know, um, so the problem when you're writing these memoirs is like sometimes you got to put like, you got to bunch a lot of things in mm-hmm. and you don't really have the real estate to flush these ideas out. Um, the school thing came as, so when I sold the liquor store, I bought a tag and title shop. Mm-hmm. I bought a tag and title shop, which is like a little motor vehicle express. You can kind of be like a middleman between right. the person. So now I got to wait in line at the MVA. And I did that. I did that when I started going to school. And um, but, yeah, the money was different. Like my money was almost instantly funny. But, you know, I'm not I'm not from like, you know, I'm not I, I'm from the I'm from I'm from the bottom of the bottom. So it's not like 
being, you know, being in a poor situation wasn't alien to me. Like I definitely understood how to survive and, and how to hustle. That's one thing that, you know, the one the one great thing I can say that my whole family we, we got from from my pops is he, he taught us how to hustle. So um you know, and whatever that hustle is, it can be it can it can be translated, you know, obviously it got translated to a negative thing at one point, but it can be like a positive thing too. So I wasn't really like a stranger to that. And mm-hmm. I figured That's out some different ways to make some money. But the money my money was def- my money was definitely funny. Uh, my money was definitely so, funny. And so during this time when you had the second title shop and when you enrolled in school, uh you were at UB, right? Yeah, University of Baltimore. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So like us, like, so right now, like I'm, I'm in graduate school right now. So I was just uh, wondering, like, you know, like going, um, going there, like, uh, what was that experience for you? Because, you know, how you, you know, not to give the book away too much, you know, your experience uh, going to Loyola. So uh, what was like that transition, like going from, uh, I would say more, more of a, probably a more of a whiter school, uh, like Loyola compared to a more mixed school, integrated school like UB. How was that? So UB was UB was a little different for me because I had a you know I had I had some things that I didn't have when I first went to Loyola coming out the gate the first time around. So for one, for one, I had I had experience in dealing with white people. I never had that experience before. I never really had a chance to really build with them. Um, being in the street and around the street and, and some of the different things. Um, my homie who definitely put me on with all these different white sections of Baltimore, like I, I, I've had experience with white people, so that wasn't that wasn't alien to me no more. I knew how to deal with them. Two, I was older, so I was more mature and I was I was more focused and I knew that, you know, I was gonna do what I had to do to graduate. I was gonna you know, work with the people like the advisors and all that and set my schedule up right and strategically map out this this path so that I can get through it. Um, and then three, I was home. So, you know, I was, you know, Loyola's not really that close to where I'm from, but UB's really close. So, you know, I'm home. Like, I can tell my homies, like, yo, there's like a bar across the street. Meet me up here, man, and we gonna, you know, we gonna get it in at the class. And it was like, a, it, it was a cool situation. So, um, going to school um, as an older student, kind of, it kind of worked out for me. Like, it, it, it worked out for me a lot. Now, when you first went back, um, did you have a vision of, of what you wanted to do afterwards initially? Or, um, you know, what was that process like of, of, you know, realizing that you wanted to be a writer? Yeah, I, you know, I was going to be like a high school history teacher. And some days I, I think like I think like I still might even, um, you know, because I'm already I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I'm, I'm in Baltimore City Public Schools at least two times a week. Um, with the uh, with my own money and then some foundations that I partner with, we donated books to schools all over Baltimore and all over DC too. So um, one of the things that we do once we donate these books is, um, you know, I my, my big so my big mission and my big plan in life is is to promote literacy. So back in those school days, I wanted to be a history teacher, but it's funny because um, you know I'm not teaching history at a high school right now, but I'm in school teaching every day. Um, and, and what what I do is. Um, is it can probably be broken down to four simple parts. Um, one, I create the content or work really hard at creating content and, and, and using my platform for other people to create content that young people can that young people can get excited about reading. Two, I work really hard to get um, to get these books published by major publishing companies so I can have the resources to get my hands on a thousand copies, to get my hands on five thousand copies if I need them, if if, if that type of deal comes through. Um, three. I work with these different foundations and I fundraise on my own to get the money together so that I can actually 
donate the books to people who can't afford them because you know sometimes um people don't really see a lot of value in books and i got it sometimes i got to get the book in your hand and then number four the most important thing is that once they read the book and um you know i would say like at least especially in this baltimore dc area like i'm getting like at least in the upper 90 percent of the students relating to the content relating to the work or relating to something that i said um which is great, but they also get a chance to interact and build with me. I make myself accessible. I come to them and I work for them and I answer their questions and I talk to them about whatever they want to talk about. And what's happening is a lot of young people are not only starting to appreciate reading, but then they're also um, finding value in their stories and understanding that everybody makes mistakes, but it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And and so... um. So, so this whole idea of you promoting literacy was this also um, the, I guess the, uh, the, uh, the background behind you uh, having those five hundred limited edition copies of Baltimore Sun at Red Emma's also. Yeah, you know, it's like I go to the, I go to, you know, I've been fortunate enough to go to book events all over the country, and um, you know, I, and sometimes a lot of times they're not my events. I might, you know, I might be in town doing, I might be in town doing an event and I'll just attend somebody else's event just to see what they're talking about and all that. And one thing I noticed is that at times a lot of people who come to these events, they can't really afford to, to buy the book. So I was like, dang, man, that's messed up because they're having a good time and they're interacting with the author, but they really don't got a 20 to, to spend on a book, but they but they really would probably want it if they could get it for free. So I said, you know what? Maybe I'll just do something where I have a big event and just give away books to everybody that come, and um, that'd be a cool thing. And so that was one reason. The other reason was I read a study that said young people do better in life when they grow up with books in their house, even if nobody reads them. Mm. 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 Now, um, actually, my mother is an uh, ad adjunct reading instructor um and she teaches at coppin and um you know she said that she was you know highly gratified to hear that you tout the importance of reading um because you know a lot of people don't get that so you know she just wanted to say thank you for that um as no, well. i was there i was at, I was at coppin i okay. was there i taught i taught at coppin for like two years as an adjunct and you're i'm um, teaching at goucher now no, I mean, I, I did. I taught at Goucher like one semester um, okay. for a program that somebody that somebody I know. It wasn't really like a big. It wasn't like a. I didn't. I never thought it was gonna be like a long term thing. I'm on staff and you never. So I want to be at Coppin, mm-hmm. honestly, but they never they never created a position for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on staff at University of Baltimore, and then I teach a class with um, PhD students and master students at Johns Hopkins University in the School of Education. So I'm teaching creative writing at University of Baltimore. On staff, and then I adjunct one class at Hopkins. Okay. Um, now, is your approach different between um, a PWI and HBCU, or um, is it you know pretty much the same? Or how you know how do you uh, do tailor um, your lesson plan to the uh, audience or the class? Um, I definitely think um, I'm more aggressive at HBCUs. I think I can. I think at HBCUs I can give an aggression that students at a PWI could never really understand. You know, because we, we, we come, especially a school like Coppin. So Coppin is a commuter school. Mm. So um, for the most part, so people who go to Coppin, are, they're going to be from East Baltimore. They're going to be from West Baltimore. They already like, they already know what time it is. Whereas when I teach at a school like Hopkins, um, I can't be as aggressive because some of the students can't even put that type of energy in context. Um, the one thing that I do that that's universal through both of these schools is that I abandon 
I abandoned a huge component of my own social context in the effort to get a chance to get students to do the same thing so that we can approach each other with blank slates and both buy into what we both need from that course. Um, you know, because a lot of times, like, ideas just, they, they spoil what, what could be great classes. Uh. Mm, yeah, well, you know, like, uh, right now, I'm a, I'm a teaching assistant um, of, uh, for history at a, at a PWI, and that's something that um, I'm, I'm always kind of uh, leery about, you know, like, kind of coming off as, like, this ain't, like, the angry black man, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, sitting up there, like, talking about black history or whatever like that. And so, like, the way that I've tried to balance it out is by talking about uh, different kinds of concepts and making sure that I hit, like, every angle of race um, historically um, within a North American context um, in my discussion sections. And so, yeah, I, I definitely uh, see what you're saying. Yeah, you know what? And, at the, you know, and so, and you know what? At the end of the day, um, I think that I'm okay with being an angry black guy because I got hella reasons to be angry. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you know, I got reasons to be angry. So it's like, I can, like, I can, but I can put them in context. I can articulate them. Where, where the conflict comes from is a lot of people who come off as angry, they can't really sit down and explain to you why they're angry. And that's like a whole different type of frustration, too. So um, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I definitely I'll be super. And, you know, a lot of times when people like if they see me on television or if they read some of the articles I write um, and then they meet me in real life, they, you know, they say, yeah, I thought you was going to be like this. I thought you was going to come in here and just break something. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm a regular guy like anybody else. But at the same time, man, I, I, you're going you're going you're going to hear these frustrations and you're going to understand how systemic racism works and you're going to understand how white supremacy works and how these things are linked to our schools and our jails and our communities and healthcare and everything in general. Like you're going to get it, you know, um, one way or another. And um, one thing I noticed is that, um, you know, especially looking at some of your interview clips on TV, it's like sometimes people take what you say so out of context. Um, it's almost like, you know, can you be that oblivious or are you doing it on purpose? Like, um, I think you said something about um, about the city is going to burn down or something like that. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, how do you not get what you're trying to say? Um, you're not advocating it. You're just saying this is what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, and that guy, I know you, I know the clip you're talking about. That guy's a super loser. Let me tell you why he's a loser. He's a lo So I'm upset because I, I got out of character. You know, it's like, you know, I was born in the 80s. I was raised in the 90s. And basically, I should know better than to argue with people on social media or argue with people on television because they're not real. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. So, and they're never going to do anything. They're never going to come from behind a smartphone or they're never going to come out their studio. So I should have known better. But at the end of the day... um, so one, when I wrote it, the city was actually on fire. But that argument, I I I, I took the bait and I and I had that argument with that guy. And you know what his people did after we got off the air? What's that? They called my people up and was like, "Yo, that's went really well. Can we do the same thing on Fox News?" Uh. So you know, and that's when I realized, like, yo. So at one point, I was like, "Yo, I'm not even doing TV no more because it's corny." But then my homie saw the interview and he had some little kids with him and they knew me from. Um, you know, we was playing basketball. We was hooping over Latrobe. We was playing. We was playing. We was playing like three on three over Latrobe, and some of the kids remember me hooping with them in a neighborhood. And then they saw me on TV. You know, um, um, saying some things that just normally don't get said, and that really, really inspired them. And they were really proud of that. That was like that was that was their moment. So I was like, dang man, if I got people looking at me, then I really gotta I gotta represent. Like I can't just let my own frustration 
keep me away from 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 talking about some of these issues that they don't talk about. Like black people can talk about white supremacy all day, but if you never really been poor, you never really been in a messed up spot. Do you really know what it feels like when you are coming from a messed up spot? You know, if you like eighth generation college with a trust fund. You know, there's no disrespect to anybody that come from any type of privilege, but we just need more voices from all over the spectrum. Like we need to hear from everybody, not just a select few. Mm. It's like Al Sharpton. Get a lot of times they go to Al Sharpton to talk about some of these issues, but it's like, yo, Al Sharpton can't speak for me. He don't know what my reality is. We from different generations. We from a whole different. He's been rich for a long time. Like <laughs> right. he really had silky hair for a long time. So it's like. Like he don't really know what it's like to, you know, be dirty in, in, in the back of Northeast Market eating chicken. Like he don't know, you know. So so don't ask him about how I feel, because I was dirty in Northeast Market last week, and I'm not even joking. You know what I mean? So it's different. Like it's a different type way. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I appreciate is, is because, um, you know, your book, um, it kind of reminds me of an updated Baltimore version of uh, Man Child in the Promised Land. So it's like, um, you know, it's a like that book is a lot older and the story is relatable, but, you know, it's a whole different time and, you know, different place. But, you know, this book is like updated and, you know, the the places I can see them and some of the people I'm like, you know, some of the uh, characters, I know some of them might be composites or things might be changed. But I'm like, you know, do I know that person, too? <laughs> so, um, you know, I definitely appreciate that about the book. And um, another thing, too, is um, I listened to the audio book and the way that you wrote it and in the way that you spoke it, it it really had a cinematic type of feel to it. That's um, crazy. I didn't even hear the audio book, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yo, yeah, they should be dirty, man. They ain't even send me that. Oh, man. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm still on Audible. Um, so I listened to it on there, and especially there's one part where you, um, and I think we were speaking about this yesterday, um, where you kind of break down, you know, the uh, cast of characters, and I thought that was, you know, um, you know, a dope component of your writing style. And, um, you know, how did you come to develop your style of writing? Um, and, you know, what were your influences? So my biggest, my biggest, my biggest influence, and I look up to all types of writers, man. I look up to Sherman Alexi. I look up to Baldwin. I look up to um, Sister Soldier. I definitely look up to, um, to, to Claude Brown and Claude McKay. Um, that's Man Child in the Promised Land and Home to Harlem. Um, I look up to um, Gino Diaz for sure. Um Tony Morrison, the Queen, but my biggest influence as far as storytelling is definitely the rapper Nas. That's hands down. Like, like I listen to I, you know I, when I when I first got put on with Nas, I listened to I listened to I really really listened to to um, Illmatic so many times, and I think I broke my CD player and ran the light bill up. Like I played that CD so much. Like so, like I know as far as like telling a story as a black person telling a black story, that was like the first time like I ever felt like you know connected to art in that in that way mm. um i was i was curious too because like the um well you like your approach to writing you have like really like really short concise sentences and i know like people like alexi did they do it too but um i would say like your writing in particular kind of reminds me of like a hemingway and so i was curious to know that if uh, maybe some of his like his approach to writing um if it influenced you in any kind of way when it comes to how you structure your uh, your essays and stuff like that um i haven't i mean i never really i've read i've read him away i've read him away um but i never really like um you know maybe maybe it did and i don't even like not knowingly it's kind of like one of those things where everything influences everything all of the time so it's like right now i'm reading to i'm reading greg tate 
Um, and I'm reading Sarah Hepler. You know what I'm saying? Um, last week I was reading a bunch of Leon Dash, everything Leon Dash wrote. So it's like, you know, I definitely, I'm, you know, Hemingway's inspired so many people. I'm definitely, I'm, I'm hundred percent sure that 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 some of his, some of his work or some of his techniques probably influenced me in some way indirectly for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if somebody you know listen to this, if they you know decide you know, they want to become more well-read and maybe even become a writer someday, um, you know, how would you recommend they, you know, break into, you know, becoming a more well-read reader? And then, you know, what steps to take to, you know, develop skills as a writer if somebody wants so, to do that? So right? I would tell them, I would tell them to read and write every day. And I would tell them that if you hated reading, then I would just, uh, first I would tell them that you will never, ever, ever be a great writer if you aren't a reader. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's like, Kobe Bryant not lifting weights or working on his jump shot. Like, it's just not, he wouldn't be Kobe for real. So I would tell him, um, you got to read and write every day. And if reading is not something that you love to do, then I would tell him to, you know, start with things that are relevant to what you like. So if you like hip hop, read some hip hop magazines. If you like sports, read some sports magazines. There's a magazine for everything. Even if you like gardening, there's like a bunch of gardening magazines. So I would I would tell them to read something, you know, that's connected to something that they like and start there. And, and I would tell them to treat it like an exercise, but um, until they can stretch out and, and, and get into into different realities and different forms of literature. But but real simple, read and write every day. If you want to be a writer, you got to read and write every day. If you do that, then um, it's going to happen for you. Now, once you start talking about becoming a professional, you just have to have um, just have to have that thick skin, you know, because you're going to get. Um, you're gonna get a lot of re- you're gonna get a lot of rejection. Mm. You get a lot of rejection. Like I got rejections. Like I got a stack of rejections. There's like Shaq height. And you know, um, I, I read somewhere that uh, that uh, that the cookup kind of came out of your um, your your uh, your your thesis um, at um, in, in your uh, creative creative um, writing program that you did and so i was curious to know like how, how does that work you know being like in a creative uh, writing program like on that kind of level and you know really writing something that's like really personal and getting criticism um on it um you know so i was kind of blessed because i've had like so much confidence and like so much so i'm from the street meaning like if you tell me you don't like my essay, it's not going to ruin my day. Like a gun in your mouth is a bad day, not somebody saying they don't like your essay. So I had like, like I had such a level of like resiliency that like when people would try, because definitely some of my work definitely got trashed by some of my peers. And it's like the same peers who trashed my work, they didn't get it. And I already, and it didn't bother me because some of them were whack. So it's like, and I'm not saying they whack because they wasn't feeling my stuff, but I'm saying that like, I kind of knew that I was like, I had like a, I had like a stronger ground. So um so it didn't really it didn't really bother me like that. Um I had to check a couple people a couple times when they were like talking about my work as if like, you know, you can just say, Oh, this person isn't relevant. They don't need to be there. And I'm like, yo, hold up, that's like really my mom, dog. Like, <laughs> like yo, yeah, like fall back real quick. But um but other than that, it it didn't really it didn't really bother me like that. Mm. Now, um, I'm curious to know how much of uh, your thesis didn't make it uh, to uh, didn't make it in the cook up. So my thesis I had. So my thesis is only like 80, 80, 90 pages. So the uh-huh. cook is maybe like 260. So a lot of it made it in there. But what I had to change was um, there was a lot. There was some people I had to take out some relationships I had to change because of legal reasons. Uh, OK. Uh, now, um, I guess. 
Uh, one thing that always kind of intrigued me is how you spoke of, um, you know, teaching reading as your form of, I guess, uh, activism and different people have activism in different ways. So I was just wondering, um, especially, you know, in light of, you know, Freddie Gray and then the recent um, uh, verdict at the Nero trial, uh, what's your view on, you know, protests and marches and things of that nature? I think they have a place, but I think it's, they shouldn't be like the only thing that people do. You feel me? Like people like, you know, you know, I went on a protest one night and like, you know, and it was cool to build with people and connect and talk and be around like minded people. But at the end of the day, the protest, the dude he was marching for, you know, he, he went free. So I was like, yo, my mission should be literacy. Like, I want to help to create a generation of thinkers. And then I got a homie that does financial literacy. So they, she wants to teach people you know, how to spend their money the right way. And then I got another friend that does, you know, um, that, that do food and, you know, and, and, and he's all about health and nutrition and how can you survive in the food deserts? And if all of us collectively like try hard to achieve mastery um, and really work on these skills, then we can make the world a better place through basically directly educating the people in the communities that we that we dwell so I thought that was a better form of activism for me is just sharing skills and talents, being accessible and sharing those resources. Like, cause marching and singing songs is not going to put no money in nobody's pocket. And, and, you know, black people get killed in this country all the time. You know, poor black people, you don't hear about, you know, um, Puff Daddy sons ain't worrying about no Darren Wilson. You feel me? Like right. it's only, it's a, it's a, it's a poor black problem, not a rich black problem. So we have to figure out how to own our communities and own our neighborhoods and, and really, really affect po- affect policy in a monetary way, not just singing songs and saying, when y'all going to look out for us, when y'all going to give us something, when y'all going when y'all going to help us, when y'all going to give us grant money. Nah, man, like when are we going to u- utilize the things that we have and take advantage of the things we can take advantage of in an effort to help us? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I really agree with that because um I uh you know like uh here well, I'm in Oklahoma and we had like these this whole these protests out here regarding some things and I just didn't I just I just hate when I see like people who like protest as if it's like 1965 and they tend to forget that we're in 2016 now and it just seems like it's the same thing over and over again when it comes like the songs and like and the chanting and stuff like that but um but uh like but when it comes to like your form of protest through like literacy and um and being like a thinker um you know like looking at you and like other like other local writers like Tariq Touré and like you know and 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 since you you know that you are like in these circles and all these different things that you do um throughout the literary world um do you see like Baltimore having like um some kind of I'm sorry well for lack of a better term like a a literary renaissance or something like that yeah, and you know what? I'm happy to be a person like you know Tariq Torre to tell you like he sent me his writing like a long time ago. He came a long way. Like I was right there to trash him when he wasn't on his game, and then I was right there to tell him he was he was the man when he was writing, putting out like crazy, revolutionary, amazing work. And then I was right there to say, "Yo, I don't like your idea about no LeBron, no Je-. like I'm that I'm accessible, you know." And some of the mm-hmm. things that I was able to help Tariq with, Tariq has helped other people with. And those other people are being brought up in a culture where people are putting them down and, and sharing skills and being resources for them. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, Kondwani, my little brother Kondwani, man, he's he's killing the spoken word game. And now, you know, I got to put him in the headlock so he can start to focus on his written game, too. But it's like, um, you know, it's, it's Lady Breon and it's, it's Faya Angelou and it's Chin Ye and it's like it's all these poets and writers 
and we all got followings and we all got clout and we all try our best to be accessible to each other, like to help each other out. So I definitely, I definitely think it's a renaissance going on right now. And I definitely think like, um, if it keep going at the rate it's going, we're going to like, we're going to see some, like, you know, this, this is going to be a, a literary hub for the East coast. Like, um, especially when you're talking about black people, cause we really, really, really got a community here and we putting in work and other communities are paying attention because like they're looking up, they might come across somebody, like a Kwanduani and they might look on his Instagram and they might see me and then they might get into my work and then they might come across Tarek through that. And then, you know, they might look at Tarek's work and they might come across, um, you know, my, my, my young boy, Muhammad Tar, you know, one of the best young 19 year old, 19 year old assassin with, when it comes to poetry and he's starting to do the same thing on a written tip too. So on a, you know, so it's, it's, it's happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, you're, uh, currently involved with the, uh, Baltimore writers project, correct? Yeah, I founded it. So right okay. now we, we got up to a slow stop, but we got a whole bunch of videos to upload and a whole bunch of young people that's out here like um, 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 collecting these narratives and, and we're uploading them to the site. And it's going to, you know, my vision for that is for it to be like the official place for anyone who wants to know about 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 the culture of, of real Baltimore City residents before we get before we get sucked off by gentrification. Um, it's going to be a place to like where, where, where I can preserve that history. Cause it's important to me, man. I, I I care about it a lot. Yeah, and um, you know, one um other thing you just brought up justification. Um, um, I think you had an interesting take on it. Um, you know, basically it was a bit more nuanced than uh, than our other people's takes. Whereas you know, you don't look at it as a bad thing because it can bring a lot of you know good things to the area. But you know, why break up these established communities that are here? And I thought that was really powerful. And then and you know what? And it's crazy because I write that, and then people who want to develop in Baltimore are hitting me up now. Now they get it. Now they saying, you know what? I don't want to disrespect this community, but I do want to make some money off of them. And if I, that means me hiring some of them too, so that they can buy my products and we can, you know, fix this fix this unemployment rate, then let's get it. Like let's get this money. Let's do it. Mm. So they're starting to hit me up now and I'm, I'm getting a chance to like direct them on like, yo, you don't got to tear this neighborhood down. You know, these people need jobs. They have X amount of training or whatever. And, and whatever you can add to that would be, would be a blessing. Like everybody can win. Cause at the end of the day, you wipe everybody out you put your fancy, your fancy business here and hire a bunch of outsiders. Don't cry when your customers and your employees get robbed. <laughs> yeah. Flat out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, another thing, too, um, it seems like, you know, you're very direct and hands on. And um, one thing that you said was, uh, you know, back in the Kurt Schmoke era, we had the benches that said the city that reads. And that was, you know, more of a government initiated thing. But, you know, you're trying to do that now just off the strength of the people. So I was just wondering, um, you know, are you like, how do you feel about the politics of the city or do you get involved in that? Or are you just more direct hands on, you know, with the community and, you know, you know, forget the uh, the whole politics thing. You just said it. I I'm not political. Um, you know, I'm not. I don't even acknowledge them like that. Like they live in a whole different reality. Some of the spots I go, they never gonna come. And I'm not even mad at them for that because I don't really expect any. I have very low expectations for them. Mm. Mm. And um, yeah, because this you know last mayor uh, mayor race was crazy. You know how they had the uh, recount and all the stuff with the ballots, and I'm just like, you know. It's another thing, another stain on the city, I guess, you know, but I guess that's just the way that it uh, has to go sometimes. I ain't, you know, I ain't tripping, man. A good mayor or a bad mayor, I'm still out here doing work, and that's all that matters. That's why I can look in the mirror. I'm good at that. I'm good with that. That's what's up. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, what's, uh, I guess, next for you um, in terms of your uh, writing career and uh, what projects are you working on now, um, you know, in terms of I mean, of it's, it's talks of, it's talks of um, my publishing company is trying to do a deal right now where, um, where it'll be, a, I won't write the book, but it'll be five hours of conversations between me and Cornell West. Mm. So we, we might be close to making that happen. And then um, on the other side of the spectrum, um, I'm consulting a film. I'm consulting um, Jada Pinkin on, on making the films here in Baltimore. Mm. So she's been bringing me out to LA, and I've been meeting with her people, and I've been, you know, I've been, I've been giving them um, my knowledge on how how a film about Baltimore should look, and culturally and, and, and artistically, and things like that. So I'm fortunate to be doing that, and then I'm just grinding. I'm teaching, and I'm I'm going to high schools, and I'm, I'm just trying to make it happen. Mm, that's what's up, man. Um, um, and you know, we definitely appreciate, um, having you on and everything like that. Um, you know, we got to get you a copy of your own audio book, man. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. crazy. Oh, man. And you know what? I'm, I'm laughing because as we, as we, as we finish this phone call, I'm sitting in my phone like, yo, get the publishing company on the phone, man. Like, I need, like, I need, I need that because I didn't even want to do that. Like, but, um, you know, but I, but I did it, and uh, you know, I guess it is what it is. But no doubt, man. Like, I definitely appreciate y'all, man. Thank you for having me on, for sure. No doubt, and you know, anytime you uh, have anything or you know want to talk or have anything to promote, you know, just shoot us an email, man. We definitely appreciate having you. Thank you. I appreciate y'all. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Feeling this here. Yeah, son. You feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, yo. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? Hold up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Hold up, all good, baby, in every hood, son. Hold up, yeah. CNN, Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef than Scarface. CNN, Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas, it's grown men. Bold face, gather your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime lace. Cast more beef.